Good morning, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at South Baton Rouge Church. And uh, this morning we're looking at Exodus chapter 1. We're beginning a series on the book of Exodus. Last week we looked at the first seven verses, and this morning we'll look at verses 8 through 22. So if you're new with us, uh, we usually walk through passages and books of the Bible and hear what God has to say to us and for us. So this morning we're in Exodus chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly said, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. They made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, you shall, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us through another week. We thank you for this passage of scripture that takes us back to a difficult time in the life of your people. Pray that you'd help us to identify with those who hurt and struggle. Help us, Lord, to see what it means to have fear of this world, but also to have the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. We can hear those words Those iconic words ringing from FDR, there are irrational fears, there are healthy fears. There used to be a ridiculous show on television called Fear Factor. There is fear mongering, there are fear tactics. We've all been afraid of the dark before, maybe some of us last night. Uh, There's fear of failure, there's fear of success. Fear is a huge part of life in this broken and fallen world. It's something that we face every single day. A certain amount of fear can be good. It can keep us from making really bad decisions. 
But fear is also something that can grip us. It can, it can freeze us in our tracks. Fear is something that can cause emotional difficulties. It's something that can cause physical effects on our bodies. And fear is also a very unique situation and concept for the Christian. If you're a Christian here this morning, how do you deal with fear? How do we tackle fear? How do we address it in our lives? Do you know what is the most repeated command and encouragement in the Bible? Don't be afraid. Do not fear. And we shouldn't hear God saying that like uh, he's mad at us, like you better not be afraid or I'll give you something to be afraid about. When we hear don't be afraid from the scriptures, we should think of the loving reassurance of a parent. I'm right here. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I love you. I'm taking care of, a, of you. God's saying to us, I've got you in the palm of my hand. Trust in me. And that's really one of the things at the heart of living the Christian life is, is loving and serving God and learning how to trust him and follow him and serve him even when things seem scary, even when life is intimidating, learning to trust God and love him without fear. Ironically, and in one of the only ways that, in a way that only God could orchestrate and put together, being in a right relationship with God, being in that loving, caring relationship with God, we want to obey him and honor him and serve him and respect him, It's referred to in the Old Testament as fearing God. The fear of the Lord, we read, is the beginning of wisdom. And and this is the right kind of fear. The fear that's connected with loving God and serving God. It's not that servile fear, that terrified being afraid. But it's where you want to honor and protect and love that relationship that you have with God. And in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 22, we see two types of fear. We see the wrong fear and the right fear. We, fe- we see the fear of the world. We see the fear of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, which leads to insecurity and much, much worse. And then we see the fear of God. What it means to be in a relationship with Him. And that fear of God leads to courage and righteousness and confidence in God's great love for us. So that's what I want us to think about this morning. Two types of fear from the book of Exodus in in chapter 1. And and I want you to ask yourself, God, what are you going to teach me about myself, about this world, about you, and how to live in this world, in a complicated world, serving and loving you. So the first thing I want us to think about is the wrong kind of fear. We see it expressed in multiple ways in this passage, primarily through the Egyptians and the Pharaoh. Last week when we began our study of Exodus, we talked about how there are two kingdoms that are at enmity with each other, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There's enmity, there's warfare between the seed of the woman, which was Eve, and the seed of the serpent who is Satan. And in chapter 1 of Exodus, we see this warfare begin to unfold. We see it building between the Egyptians and the Israelites. We see that battle and that, that struggle unfolding. What happened? Well, the Egyptians might have, 
refer to this situation as something like this. What are we going to do about the Jewish problem? How are we going to handle the Hebrew situation? We see the wrong kind of fear played out in this passage through a couple different plans, and these are bad plans. These are diabolical plans that were, that were set to destroy God's people. Plan A by Pharaoh in this wrong sort of fear, plan A was this, ruthless oppression. Ruthless oppression. There's a new king, the text tells us in verse 8. In the passing of time, there was a new pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. It was probably years after Joseph's life. And he he'd probably heard about Joseph. He knew that he was a person, but he didn't understand the magnitude of Joseph's role in helping to deliver the Egyptians in God's plan. That happened under a different administration, in a different time, and now there's a new guy in charge who doesn't understand why we give such special treatment to these Israelite people. And so he has some questions, and we can imagine this playing out in modern politics, right? A new administration steps in, and so many connections and contacts and a way of life might change for a lot of different people. And that's what's happening here. There's a new Pharaoh who doesn't care about, the, about Joseph and what he did. And he identifies a couple things. He sees, first of all, that, that the people of God have grown too many and too mighty. That's what it says in the passage. Too many and too mighty. There's this new king, and he looks at the situation, and he assesses things, and he sees there is... A problem. The people of Israel are too great. They're too strong. There are so many of them. What if someone came to attack us, the, the Pharaoh thought, and they turned the Israelites against us? We would be finished. And so as there was this fear that grew. There was a problem in the, in the Pharaoh's eyes that, that needed to be handled, but he was also afraid that the Israelites would, would leave. So he was afraid of them, but he needed them. And instead of recognizing the role that Joseph played in Egypt's history, Pharaoh moves forward in fear. And that fear plays itself out in this passage in in multiple ways. First of all, he seeks to deal shrewdly with them. It says in verse 10, come let us deal shrewdly with them. And that isn't isn't, uh, dealing kindly or wisely. It's a word that means to, to deal with cunning and craft, to manipulate someone or something for political gain. And so he starts to work this awful plan. And plan A was this ruthless oppression. So he set taskmasters over them. And these aren't simply people that would rule over the, the Israelites. These are people whose direct motive and goal was to make their life miserable. They put heavy burdens on the people of God. Their plan was simple and terrible. We'll make their lives so bad that they won't have time to think about hope or freedom or anything else. Pharaoh used God's people to build entire cities. It wasn't just the amount of work. It was the way that they were treated. They were treated, it says twice in this passage, ruthlessly. Without mercy. 
And it was just an awful, horrible situation where God's people were treated subhuman. Now let's take a a break for a second and try to identify with this situation. It's hard for us to imagine living through what God's people had to live through back then. We have glimpses of this type of treatment from history, distant and not so distant history. We hear of the plight of people in the world who have no place to go, refugees who leave their homes with just the the clothes on their back. We hear horror stories about human trafficking and modern day enslavement. These people were used and abused. Try to put yourself in their shoes. Try to understand what they were going through. I think one of the simple applications as we think about uh, Exodus chapter 1 is for us to try to empathize with people who feel used and forgotten and targeted and mistreated in this world. Pharaoh wasn't the only person that had fear. The text says that the Egyptians were afraid as well. It says it in verse uh, 12. The Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. They were filled with anxiety and fear because of God's people. So what happened? Did this plan work? Did this ruthless, oppressive plan work? And was, was it able to snuff out the people of God through uh, this, this difficult and challenging plan? And the answer is no. Look at verse 12. It's beautiful. It's passing statement. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. God's kingdom grew. God was blessing them. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He was fulfilling his promise that he made to Abraham. That your descendants will be like the stars in the heaven or the sand on the seashore. The more they were oppressed, the more they grew and spread. Even in the face of opposition, in the face of challenges, in the face of enmity and war, God was fulfilling his promises. God's plans cannot be thwarted. They can't be sidelined or sidetracked. This is part of the story of Christianity, right? From, the early, uh, from very early on and through the history of the church, what happened when God's people were, um, were oppressed? When it was made illegal for them to teach about Jesus or to preach the gospel or to evangelize, when they were physically um, abused and used, what happened to the message of Christianity? It didn't stop. God's kingdom continued to grow. The gospel flourished and blossomed. Nothing can stop the advance of God's kingdom. This is same, the same thing is true in situations where we're tempted to think that the circumstances going on are about to derail God's purposes and plans. When it seems like everything is falling apart, God is still on his throne in heaven. He's still working and he's with us and that's why we need to trust him through thick and thin. This wrong sort of fear is expressed in Exodus 1. And through Pharaoh and then the people of of Egypt, it's almost as if they were living in fear. What's described here is the outworking of a life lived by fear. 
It's a logical outcome of power-hungry, fear-based, self-protective, greedy, angry, use others to protect yourself at all costs, insecure worldview. And it's displayed in the extreme. But if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you realize that sometimes you have those same fears. Sometimes you have those same struggles. In Christ, we have a new name and a new nature, and we have acceptance and forgiveness. But sometimes we're gripped by that same insecurity, that same anxiety, that same fear. We can be short-tempered and hurtful, and we, we can look for ways to use other people instead of love other people. We can assume the worst about others and spread gossip about them because of our own fears and insecurities. We can be filled with dread over people or situations or circumstances and let this wrong kind of fear drive and control our lives. And that's one of the things that we see here. We'll, we'll talk about it in a moment, but one of the things we see from Exodus chapter 1 is that the fear of God, being in a right relationship with Him, can help us remove and diffuse those worldly fears in our lives as we rest and rely upon God Himself. So plan A of the wrong type of fear, plan A of this diabolical plan was to ruthlessly oppress the people of God. That didn't work. So Pharaoh decided to move to plan B, which was genocidal murder. That's right. He wanted to murder people. Pharaoh called in two women, Hebrew midwives. He gave them a simple and horrific command. When the Hebrew women are giving birth, if it's a son, you shall kill him. It's such a matter-of-fact statement we can read over it and just keep moving. But let's stop for a second. Let it sink in. Pharaoh gave a command to two of the main people who were supposed to help women when they were giving birth to their children, Shifra and Pua, and he told them to do the unthinkable. As soon as a son enters into this world, you should take his life. Maybe before you put the, that little baby boy on giving to his mother to hold, you shall take his life. And we'll talk about how Pua and Shifra handled that command in a minute, but when that plan didn't work, the Pharaoh told his people, the Egyptians, if you see a Hebrew baby boy, take him and throw him into the river, into the Nile. This is horrible. This is genocidal murder. This is the kingdom of Satan at work. And remember, Satan comes to kill and to, to steal and to destroy. Fear drove them so much that he approved and he commanded and he deputized the death of little children. Many of us in this room are sensitive to life issues. We sense and know that life is something not just precious to Christians, not just near and dear to the heart of God, but it's something that's precious to human beings. Because Jesus Christ is our life, we can stand up and seek to protect the life of unborn children. Yes, amen, absolutely. 
Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can also be committed to stand up for and seek to protect the lives of the poor, of refugees, of people who are different from us, of people who who we might be intimidated by, of people that we're afraid of, of the marginalized, maybe even people across town. This passage and the horror of Pharaoh's call is a reminder to us that God's called us to be a blessing for the flourishing and life of the young and the old, of the forgotten and the marginalized, and everyone in between. Plan B didn't work because God was there. God was working. We see the wrong type of fear unfold, but we also see wonderfully and beautifully in this passage the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. Look at verse 17 with me. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. I I love to picture this. Picture with me these two women walking out of the king's chambers, walking out of the palace. Maybe they walked for a while, and then they looked at each other and said, he's out of his mind. Can you believe what he asked us to do? They might have prayed. They may have asked God for wisdom and help and courage, but they couldn't and they wouldn't do what the Pharaoh asked. Why? Because they feared God. They knew God. They loved God. And think about it. Even though their lives were hard, even though their circumstances were extremely difficult, even though they'd been asked by the most powerful man in the world to do the unthinkable, they knew they answered to the living and true God. They knew that they were loved and cared for by God himself. They feared God. And here are some of the words that come out of this right type of fear. Words like life. Words like God dealt well with them. Guess what happened? God continued to bless and grow his people. They became very strong because the midwives fear God. The text tells us that God blessed them and he gave them families. And notice how they did this. There's no indication that they they made a giant fuss right in front of the Pharaoh. They didn't stand there and stir everything up. They probably walked right out in dignity. And then they worked to implement their plan. Some might call it subversive godliness. And there's a, there's a debate over whether or not the midwives lied to Pharaoh. What about the ninth commandment? Is it okay to lie if it advances our cause and our agenda? Well, there's no indication from Exodus chapter 1 that the, that the midwives actually lied. We don't know exactly what happened. Maybe they spread word to all the women who were pregnant. Don't call the midwives until the very last minute. Maybe God blessed the women to have really fast labor and the the babies came out very fast. But whatever happened, God blessed them and they were glorifying him in their work and their leadership. And he blessed them for being committed to saving these lives. Their own lives were at stake. And they decided to save the lives of others. 
They didn't announce what they were doing. They didn't declare what they were doing. They were wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The names Shifra and Pua, um, they're not really the cutest names to us. Um, If you told someone that you had named your child Shifra or Pua, they probably would look at you puzzled and then they may ask, oh, is that a family name? (laughs) Which is the most polite way for us to say, that is a weird name. You know what their names mean? Beauty and splendor. Their acts of obedience and courage are some of the most beautiful and splendid pictures we have of what it means to fear God. How do we grow in our fear of the Lord? How do we cultivate it in our lives? There are a couple things we need to remember. First of all, the fear of the Lord grows through our relationship with God. In us learning and knowing that God is our strength and our shield and our very great reward. I've got to believe that the fear of the Lord that Pua and Shifra and their midwife friends had grew and blossomed throughout their life. It wasn't just something that they gained or got at the last second. It was something that blossomed and grew even in the face of the difficulties that they had, even as they were treated ruthlessly and oppressed, as they waited for God's deliverance, as they wondered if He would ever come and answer their prayers. That type of godly fear and trust is what enabled them to make maybe the hardest decision of their lives. And it's what enables us to make decisions that honor God when no one else is around and no one else will know. The fear of the Lord also grows through spiritual disciplines. It doesn't just hit us. We don't learn it by osmosis. It's shaped and formed and cultivated through the means of grace. Through worship and prayer and the Lord's Supper and fellowship and Bible reading. I I talk to the the young people about this a lot, but it's something that's true for everyone. If we don't put in God's word and prayer into our lives, we won't be shaped and formed into the people of God. Fear of the Lord also grows through through repentance. Think about how this fear of God, this growing sense of love and dependence upon Him can help us become the men and women that God meant for us to be. The wrong kind of fear brings insecurity and ungodly anger and intimidation and so much more. But the fear of God gives us hope and confidence and peace and wisdom to do what is right and good and kind and gracious. It even gives us the freedom to say, you know what, I need to change. I need to repent. I need to turn from this way of thinking to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and healing. I need to turn away from thinking in ways that aren't really in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So one of the questions that we can ask ourselves is this. What are the areas in your life where the fear of God needs to shine and blossom? What are areas in your life where you can say, 
you know what? My thoughts and my actions have been wrong. God, I'm sorry. Shake me and form me into the man or the woman of God that you want me to be. So that I can stand up for what is good and right with gospel dignity and courage. Imagine the pressure and the tension that the disciples of Jesus Christ must have felt as they made their way to Jerusalem. After Jesus told them three times that he would be betrayed and rejected by the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again from the dead. And then they share this Passover meal together and they don't really know what's going on. They don't understand all the details, but they know something big is brewing. And what was one of the final acts of our Lord Jesus Christ to encourage them and us throughout the ages? He instituted the Lord's Supper, something that we get to celebrate this morning. And when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he essentially said, whenever you're afraid, whenever you're filled with the wrong kind of fear, remember how much I love you. Remember what I've done That I've laid down my life for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we remember this morning and we ask God to take away the wrong kind of fear. And to cultivate and develop in us the right kind of fear. The fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. May God help us do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We confess that we are often gripped by so many unhealthy fears in this world. We thank you that you come alongside us and that you love us and you comfort us and part of the way that we can deal with our the wrong sorts of fears in our lives is by growing in the fear of the Lord. Help us to do that, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.